So I've entitled this morning's message, Learning from the Early Church. And if you notice, the last few weeks we've been talking about, uh, I've been trying to really just kind of dig back into some basic things of the Word of God. We talked about that, that uh, Newsflash, we're part of a supernatural religion. God does supernatural things. He does amazing things that can't be explained by human works, but instead they, they, are, they are born from His power and His majesty. And we also talked about uh, we need to be very careful not to put our big God in our little box, that we can't begin to dictate to him how he's going to work in our lives, because when we do that, we actually limit God. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed, but God's a perfect gentleman. He never forces himself into your life. Into, into your life. Last week, we talked about being careful with the words that we speak. These are all fundamental, uh, basic uh, principles in Christianity. These are things that I think we have to get a hold of if we're going to be effective in this modern day and age at leading people to Christ, at growing His church. And this morning, I want to take a look at some, some key areas that the, of the early church in the book of Acts. Because I think if we look at the early church and what they are doing, we can apply many of those principles in our lives and we can be more effective at reaching our community for Christ. You see, we're a young church. As you can see, we don't have a a whole lot of people in here, but we do have people that are committed, that love Jesus, and that are willing to do what it takes to serve Him. But we are young. We're not set in our ways. You know, you look at some of these churches that have been around forever, and they're set in their ways. They're set in how they do things. And and I want us to, to grow based on the foundations of what we read in the Scriptures and not get stuck in ruts, not begin to predetermine how we're going to do things. And I'll be honest, it's easy for me to fall into that trap because I, I came from, from Living Hope Family Church Tucson. Many of you have been over there. I came from there. And, and, and we can get, kind of get wrapped up in how they do things over there. And, and, you know, this is the only way things can happen. And the truth is I don't want to get stuck in that rut. I want to be able to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and base who we are on the Scripture. So today we're going to take a look at what the, how the early church did things and look at some principles of what they did. Because the truth is that times change. We all know that times change, right? There's, we look at the book of Acts and a lot of the, the scriptures and we're like, man, this, this stuff really doesn't apply to us. A lot of times you'll see stuff like agricultural, uh, agricultural references and we're talking about sowing and reaping. And, and the truth is the times change. Not many of us have our own farm anymore. So the sowing and reaping is, is almost a foreign concept, but the, the application, the idea is every bit as valid even in our modern day's lives. Times change, technology changes, but the biblical foundational principles of reaching the lost and building Christ's church do not. We may do it a slightly different way, but the idea is the same. So as we begin to look, let's look at some, some things about the early church. Acts 1, 4 through 8 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the book of Acts is kind of where Luke left off. And here Luke is kind of, he's, re, he's recapping the end 
of the <clears throat> of the book of Luke. He's talking about things that happened. Jesus came back. He ordered him to stay. He's kind of recapping what's going on. And this is after Jesus' resurrection, but prior to his ascension. He's actually talking to the disciples, and he told them to wait for the promise. <clears throat> and he said that that promise that he was supposed to wait for, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. They were told to wait for the, this promise, and this promise was the Holy Spirit. And more specifically, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there's two different separate interactions with the Holy Spirit when you get saved. When you first get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. You you give your life to Christ and you receive the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. But there's subsequent to that, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And that's when we begin to see that people operate in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said... You need to wait. He had already, he's been resurrected. He's not ascended into heaven. He says, you need to wait in Jerusalem because you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that's the promise that they're waiting for. And Jesus goes on to say that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, the early church required the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God intended them to do. It required the gifts of the Spirit. And as we're going to see as we look at different instances of of the early church, we're going to see as they operated in this power, they were able to be more effective at reaching the world around them. They were able to be more effective at ministering to those who had never heard of Jesus or weren't following him. And the truth is, for the early church, operating in the Holy Spirit was not a luxury. It was not a, a... a tightly guarded secret that only a few chosen can do it, but instead it was a requirement. If they were going to be effective, they needed that power. And it led to people getting saved. It led to people being touched. It led to people being healed. It led to people being delivered. And people were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because these gifts of the Holy Spirit were there to edify and build up the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, it says, so, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. See, that was the, the point of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, was to help build up the church. It was to help grow the church, to edify people in the church, and to make an impact around, on people around them. So my question to you is, are we any different than the early church? Do we, do we need less power? Do we need less influence by the Holy Spirit than the early church? Are we still called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to, into all of the earth, to the ends of the earth? We have the same mission as the early church. We're supposed to be witnesses of the power and love of Christ in our lives to those around us. And the truth is, we need just as much power now as they did back then because we're coming up against many of the same oppositions as they did back then. As a matter of fact, we come up against a lot of stuff that they, that they didn't have to deal with. Are we still to grow, to build, and to edify the church? You know, I think the answer to all these questions is yes. I think we can all say yes. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be witnesses. We're here to build and grow the church. And we're going to need that same power of the Holy Spirit that the early church had. And as it is with them, it is with us. Like I said, it's not a closely guarded secret. 
or privilege, but it's, it's a necessity for all believers to operate to their full potential. If you want to operate in your full effectiveness, we need to get a hold of the power of the Holy Spirit and let Him operate through us. Because the truth is, in our own power, we're going to be quite limited in what we can do and what we can affect around us. But the power of the Holy Spirit allows ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And if we will let God work through us, then we'll be able to do amazing things and stop trying to do things on our own. Every, every time I try to do stuff on my own, it just gets messed up. But when I let God, then God does amazing things. We also see that the early church was a devoted bunch. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, which is the church, to the breaking of bread, which was actually getting together and spending some time together. You know, that's why in the Christian church you always hear the word fellowship is spelled F-O-O-D, because we like to eat. And we get to, and that's, that's how we can break bread together. We can get together and get to know one another. And it says, and the prayers. See, to be devoted, that means that you are zealous about something. And this early church, they were, they were zealous about the, the apostles' teaching. And why? Because these teachings brought life. They were something different than they had always heard. And these teachings were changing their lives, and they were making an impact. The apostles were preaching Jesus Christ. And this wasn't the same old stuff. This was, this was new and life-changing. And the, 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 the early church, they weren't just jaded or going with the flow. They weren't cultural Christians. They were hearing this message for the first time and it was touching their hearts. It was changing who they were. And they weren't just going to church on Sunday morning because that's just what they do. That's what they've always done. Or maybe they, they weren't just going to church on Christmas and Easter because they were devoted to the church. They were devoted for, to the message of Christ. You guys, on Facebook, it went around for a while, there was this video of Chinese Christians getting Bibles for the first time. Did any of you guys see that? It was actually an amazing thing. It's this, this big pallet of Bibles gets sent to, to this, these, these uh, look like maybe a home church, it was a home or something. But the, they were so excited and passionate about getting a hold, finally, of God's Word in their own language, having their own Bible, that they were almost fighting over the Bible. You could just, they were pushing and shoving. They wanted to get one. Some of them are just, they're crying. They're so touched that they finally have the Word of God. Do we have that kind of passion about the Word of God in our lives? Do we have that kind of devotion? I mean, it was, it was amazing watching this. It's actually, it almost makes you feel a little guilty, a little, uh, a little uncommitted when you see how much passion these people had for the Word of God in Christ. In America, unfortunately, though, Christianity is almost just a cultural tagline, and it's, even that's falling away. I don't even know if we're, we're technically considered a Christian country anymore. But it's, the, the, the truth is, is that many Christians in America are, are just that name. They're, they're, they call themselves Christians because mom or, or dad or grandpa and grandma used to be Christians. They don't even know what that really means. There's no devotion to God. There's no devotion to His church. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. That's, that's Jesus' wife. If we love Jesus, then we'll love His wife. We'll love His bride. You know, I wonder what kind of effect 
we would have if we expressed the same kind of zealousness for his words, for his word towards others. The same kind of zealousness of Jesus towards others. And I'm I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. But I'm talking about having zeal. You know, guys, what zeal is? It's just having a, a great energy or enthusiasm about something. I mean, are you excited to tell people about Jesus? I mean, all, I think all we would have to do is just show the same enthusiasm and passion that we have for our favorite football team. I mean, you guys ever seen the Bieber fever? You guys seen how those girls act? You ever seen videos on that? I mean, they're, they're crazy. Over, I don't get it. The, the guy is something else. But they are so excited. I mean, they are passionate. I've seen, I've seen posts where, where somebody will criticize him on Twitter and like a thousand teenage girls come to his defense. What if we had that kind of passion about Jesus that, that people have about famous people or football teams? I mean, what if we were willing to, and I'm not talking about going, like I said, beating people with the Bible. When the opportunity arises, are you excited about it? I mean, you hear somebody talking about your favorite football team, and usually you're trying to find a way into the conversation. Are we doing that when we, when we hear somebody speaking about God or Jesus, or, or we see an opportunity? Are we, being, are we showing that kind of passion? I think we need to have that kind of passion if we want to be effective in this community. People aren't looking for fake Christians, mealy-mouthed Christians. People are looking for people that are the real deal. And that's what I want people to say about me. You know, they might think I'm weird or do weird things. You know, when they see me worshiping and my hands are in the air, and they're like, man, that's kind of crazy. But you know what? They don't have a doubt whether I'm serious about it. When, when people ask me to do stuff and I say, sorry, I've got church on Sunday. I, I, can't, I can't go do that. You know, they, they, may not, they may think that's a strange idea to them, but you know what? They know that I'm real because I'm devoted to Christ and His church. And I think we all need to show that same kind of passion for his church. And the truth is, you know, there's, there's certain areas that I do great in that, and there are other areas that I, I, I do miserable in that. I think we all have opportunity for growth in that area. But we need to make it a focus. It says they also loved to, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the word, they were devoted to the church, and then they were devoted to the breaking of bread and fellowship. They, they loved and supported one another. They spent time with one another. You know, the church is supposed to be a family. We're supposed to have relationship with one another. We shouldn't just see each other on Sunday morning and never speak to each other throughout the week. We should be a family and spend time together and learn to, to, to learn about each other and know one another and be there for one another. That's why we do the lunch after church on Sunday so we can get together and break bread together. So we can build those relationships. And then it says that they were devoted to the prayers. They, they had a prayer. like They prayed together. They prayed individually. And if we want to be successful as a church and as individual Christians, we need to have a prayer life. We need to be praying. We have the prayer meeting every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Everybody's welcome. See, I don't know how to pray, Pastor Wayne. That's a great place to learn. And come and just, even if you don't pray out loud, just come and be in agreement with us as we pray for this church, if we pray for the members of this church, as we pray for this community, in this city, in this state, in our government, in our, our country, 
in the mission field, let's stand in agreement and pray with one another. If we don't have an effective prayer life, we will not be successful. Because the truth is, if we're not talking to God, our relationship with Him is pretty weak. I mean, your relationship with your spouse, if you never talk to them, how good would that be? Well, if you never talk to God, your relationship's going to be just like that. And then in Acts 3, 1-6, through 6, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. See, even, even as, as Christians, they were still heading to the tower, or to the tower, the temple, at the hour. I put those two words together. Do you like that? The tower of prayer. The temple, at the hour of prayer, they were going to pray. And on their way in, it says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, one of the things that the early church did was is, is when they went out, they laid hands on people, they got healed. He says, you know, we don't have money. We don't have any of this stuff. But what I do have, I give to you. And, and this man was healed because the, the early apostles, Peter and John here, they believed God would touch him. They prayed for him. And this, he was lame from, from birth. And he got up and began walking. That's an amazing thing. You see, when... When the early church went out and they laid hands on people and they began to talk to people, they, they weren't doing it out of, out of uh, this is just the thing that we do. It wasn't some sort of, of rote statement. It wasn't a checklist that they were following. But when they laid hands on people, they believed something was going to happen. They believed that those people would be touched. They didn't do it as pretense, but they had full confidence in God and that he would accomplish what they were asking. They believed that when they prayed, God heard them and whatever that they asked according to his will would be done. So the question is, when we pray for people, we gotta, is it according to God's will? Well, is healing according to God's will? Amen. Is deliverance according to His will? It is. Is provision according to the will of God? It, when we pray these things for people, we should believe and expect. There's a sense of expectation, not of, not of, of wishing or hoping, but expectation when we pray for people. You see, the early church believed that when they spoke, mountains would move. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp, but the scripture says it plain. It says if you speak to the mountain, get up and be cast in the sea, then it'll happen, then it'll do it. They believed that they would have an impact around them. And then the interesting thing about this story is is it's kind of like the people that are walking around, around us every day. The, the man at the gate, what did he want? He was put out there. What did he want? He wanted money. He wanted to have some sort of, of, of way to take care of himself, to be this, this kind of physical, worldly thing. And we're walking around with people all around us that are that same way. All they, all they want is money or, you know, all the, the, the basics of life is all they care about. It's just day by day, getting through. And he figured, this guy, he's like, man, if I just get enough money, maybe my life will be a little bit better. Money is going to fix everything. 
And the same thing is going around today. They're looking for money or a better house or, you know, if I just had a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or a better car or a better job or, you know, if we had a better, if we had a better president, you know, we're all, all of these things that we think are going to make things better, that are make, make our life better. And we're looking towards the wrong thing. And this guy, he's, he's looking for money. And the thing is, is that Peter and John, they offered something more. You know what? Every one of in this room, every one of us in this room can offer something more. He offered him life. He offered him wholeness. And every time that we minister to somebody, that's what we're offering them. Because with Jesus, you can finally be whole. You can finally have life. Amen? And also we find in Acts 5, 12 through 16, not only was there healings, but there were signs and wonders. There's not many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were called together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those affected with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is amazing things going on. It says right here that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders followed the early church. When, when the people of the early church were out and about and they were ministering to people and they were praying for them, stuff was happening. Amazing things were happening. And it wasn't just limited to the apostles. Like right here it says, signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But we're going to go look at, when we get to the end of this message, I'm going to show you that there's scripture evidence that it's not just for the apostles, but it's, it's for all of us. Matter of fact, the scripture says that signs and wonders will follow all who believe. But this should be a reality in our lives. I wonder, sometimes I wonder why it's not, but I think it's because we're so ingrained that this stuff can't happen. Miracles can't happen. I watch the Science Channel, National Geographic, the Discovery Channel. They say that none of that stuff can happen. But you know what it does? It happens every day. And it would happen more if we just believed the Word of God instead of the TV. When we go out and minister the gospel and share with people, we should expect them to be set free. It should be an expectation on our heart. There should be confidence of that happening. Not that they're going to stay where they're at, but instead when we introduce them to our God, then amazing things will happen in their lives. And people should just be blessed by being around us. You know, I found this amazing here. It says that, that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. How many know that Peter didn't have some special shadow? It, it was God working and people believing that God would touch them if they just did this thing. They believed God. And it wasn't just by being around the apostles and the early church, their lives were affected. And the truth is that people should be blessed just by being around us. I expect that the businesses in this plaza are going to be blessed just because we're here. As the blessing of God overflows into their lives. Do you guys remember Potiphar? 
That was, that was uh, Joseph's uh, slave master, and Joseph was running his household. The scripture said that because Joseph was running Potiphar's household, Potiphar's household was blessed and was successful and had an abundance. It wasn't because of Potiphar, it was because of Joseph. Numbers 10.29, it says, And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. He was asking these Midianites to come along. His father-in-law says, Come with us. You know what? God's going to do good to you because he does good to us, and you'll be with us. Just being around us, we should be a blessing to those around us. And Jesus said, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. That's another thing that we see here. You know who came to, to the early church? Those who were sick, those who were hurting, those who needed healing. And that's, that's the reason for that is because everyone who's already doing well, they think that they've got it figured out. They don't need God. They don't need anything else. They're doing it well on their own. But the rest of them are like, you know what? I need something because what I got's not working. They came and they showed up to the church. And we need to be there for the people in this community in the same way. There are those who are hurting. There are those who are sick. That's one of the things we've been praying about and meeting and talking about is how can we make an impact in this community? How can we do things differently? We want to touch them. We want to reach them the best that we can with the resources that we have. And this church should be a place where those who are sick, hurting, hurting, broken, disheartened, those who have damaged relationships, those with a need, this should be a place where they can come. It should be a place that they're flocking to. Because when they get here, miracles happen. That's how we should, our blessing should be overflowing on people. And it starts with us believing that God will do that, that he'll answer his promises. Why don't we see that now? Why don't we see it here? Why, when we pray for people, they're not always healed the way we expect them to be healed? I think we just need to start making a choice to trust God. We're going to believe God no matter what. No matter what the doctors say, no matter what the psychologists say, no matter what the neighbors say. We're going to believe the Word of God. And I believe that if we'll do that, we're going to see those signs and wonders begin to follow us. We're going to see people being delivered from bondage that they've been held in their whole life. We're going to see people being healed. We're going to see cancer being eradicated in people's lives. We're going to see all kinds of sicknesses and diseases go all the way from a simple headache to all the way to something as serious as cancer. Because God is faithful. We're also going to see that the early church dealt with some opposition as well. In Acts 4, 17-21, it says, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, than to God you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God and for what had happened. Anybody ever wondered why signs and wonders following the believers was so important? Why we have those things? It's a door opener. It's a way to, to, to let us be able to minister the gospel to people. 
And it's true that signs and wonders aren't going to save anybody. The ultimate fact of the matter is, is, is somebody can have a life-changing miracle. That, that man that was on the gate, when he, he could get up and walk, but if he, if he didn't put his trust in God and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, he still doesn't have life. But how many know when he got up and started walking, he was a lot more open to hear the gospel preached? He said, wait a minute, something's going on here. Something is good here. Sign and wonders won't save anybody. It's actually God's word and faith in his son. And if we want, the signs and wonders can give us an opportunity to minister, to share that. In Luke 16, 27 through 31, it says, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is, remember, Lazarus, he died, and, and he goes, and he's, he's, he's got that chasm between him and Abraham. And the, the or sorry, Lazarus was the, was the, the beggar, and the, the rich man died. And Lazarus was on the bosom of Abraham, and the, the, the rich man was like, hey, let me go and, and, and tell my friends so they don't have the same punishment I do. And, and Abraham said, you know what, if they wouldn't listen to God's word, another miracle is not going to save the day. Seeing a dead guy is not going to do it. The truth is miracles don't, or Miracles, signs, wonders, they're not going to save anybody. The Word of God will, but it gives us an opportunity. See, the truth is they had some pressure. The early church had some pressure to knock it off. They didn't want uh, Peter preaching and the apostles preaching. They didn't want them to keep on talking about this Jesus character. But the thing is, is when they had, it says, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. A doorway had been opened because amazing things were happening. This man at the gate just got healed, and now everybody wanted to hear a little bit about Jesus. And even the people that were trying to stop them could do nothing. There was nothing that they could do. And you know what? They weren't willing to stop anyway. They were told, hey, knock it off. I said, no, we got, should we listen to you or listen to God? That should be a simple question. We should listen to God always. You know, when we were out... Uh, handing out flyers the other day, um, we're, we're oftentimes very careful when we see the no soliciting signs, either on a door or we actually had a, there was one community we tried to stop at and they got big no soliciting signs at the front of all their entrances. And obviously we don't want to go in there and just start ticking people off because how many of you know that if we start ticking people off, that's not a good way to open a door to ministering to them. But you know what? What do you think would happen if every time we went out we met somebody, we prayed for them, and they got healed, or they got delivered. Don't you think there would be a reputation going around? And they go, man, every time someone from Living Hope Family Church shows up, God moves and amazing things happen. You know what's going to happen then? They're not going to give one lick whether they have a no soliciting sign up. They're going to want us to come into the neighborhoods. They're gonna want, it's going to open doors for us if we begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And believing God, that he's, I believe that that's what should be happening when we go out. When we pray for somebody, they should be healed, delivered, restored. What kind of impact would that, be, would that make? They were pressured and they suffered for Jesus too. You know, as, as a church and as individuals of a church, you're probably going to go through some stuff. Many of you know what I'm talking about. As we began to build this church from, from just two families and grown to where we are today, many of us have, have felt pushback in our lives. 
In Acts 5, 40-42, it says, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Uh, Peter and the apostles, they got beat for preaching Jesus. They had some opposition. They had some pressure. They had some pushback. And I want you to know that you're probably going to face that as you grow and move with us. Like I said, I've definitely felt that. I know many of you have already. And the truth is, the attitude that we should have is that we should count, be counted, we should rejoice that we're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we're excited for the things that we're going through. I can guarantee you that Peter and Paul weren't like, Phew, can't wait till I get beat again. That was amazing. But they did recognize the impact that they were having. And they recognized that no matter what happens, they were going to keep moving forward. They were going to keep making a difference. No matter what the enemy tried, it wasn't going to push them down and knock them out. It says that after that, they were charged not, they were beaten, charged not to speak. And the scripture doesn't say, so they went home and locked themselves in the door and never came out again. No, it says that every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You know what? The enemy might come against you. The enemy might come against this church. But if we want to follow the model of the early church, and I think that we should, we need to not give up, but keep pressing forward. Amen? The early church needed boldness. Anybody need boldness? Anybody ever prayed for boldness? You know, it's a lot of times I think we look at the early church and we're like, man, these must be some sort of special people. These people, I mean, they're just a little bit better genetic stock than I was born with. And they, they were amazing. But the truth is, they were just like us. In Acts 4, 29-31, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Just like us, they were praying for boldness too. They were, they were having trouble struggling with the stuff that was coming against them. And they said, God, you know, look upon their threats, but give us boldness. Help us stay strong. They weren't a group of people that were born with this predisposition for spreading the gospel. They weren't born super Christians. But instead, they relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, after they were done praying... The place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they prayed for boldness. They were filled. You know, did you guys know that being filled with the Holy Spirit is uh, not a one-time thing? Apparently we leak. So we continue to pray to be filled. And every time he fills us and we have his power working through us. And it says that they didn't speak with boldness in their own power. It says, no, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We need to be a bold church. We need to minister the gospel. And the good news is, is we don't have to do it of our own power. We can trust God and let his power flow through us. You know, a wise movie once said, said, if you ask God for patience, does he give it to you or does he give you an opportunity to be patient? Does he give you love? When you ask for love, or does he give you an opportunity to be loving? 
Now, this wise movie that I'm talking about, that was Morgan Freeman as God speaking in, in Bruce Almighty. You guys ever seen that movie? That was, that was actually some wisdom in what he was saying. It's a ridiculous movie. It's funny, but it's ridiculous. But he says, you know, when you pray to God for patience, does he give you just a, just, just, you know, a bucket load of patience get dumped on you? Or does he give you an opportunity to be patient? Well, to be honest with you, I think the answer is, is both. When we ask God for boldness, through the power of his Holy Spirit, if we let him operate through us, he'll give us boldness. But it doesn't do us any good without an opportunity to be bold. So we're going to get both. Let's pray for boldness in our lives and let God give it to us so that we can be effective. And that may mean from, from sharing the gospel with a coworker at work because an opportunity has arisen to sharing it with the Circle K clerk to just ministering to someone in your family. Because all those things can be hard. Ask God for boldness and he'll give it to you. We also see that the early church was one. In Acts 4, 32-35, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The early church, they were of one accord. They had one mind. They were devoted to one another. They were taking care of one another. They were unified, and they were committed to the church and to one another. That's the kind of attitude that I want in this church and in myself. I want to be devoted to every one of you to, to help out when I can. If one of you has a need, I want to be able to, to, be able to fill that need. The scripture says here that no one was in need. If someone had a need, they took care of it. And this wasn't done out of duty or compulsion. This wasn't the, uh, the, the apostles going, hey, if you want to be part of this club, I'm going to need you to sign over the deed of your house. But it was done out of love for one another. And it doesn't mean that people took advantage of one another either, because that's something that we need to watch out for as well. The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, For even though we are with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We can't, we're not here to take advantage of one another. But out of love, we want to honor one another. And this is a sacrificial kind of love they were showing to one another. These people were giving up. Many were owners of lands or houses. They sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They were sacrificing greatly out of love for those who needed it. Now, I'm not asking you this morning to sell your house and give the money to the church. Although, if you did, we would use it wisely. But I'm not asking you to do that. That's between you and God. That's not between me and you. But I do think we need to have this attitude among us. If someone's hurting, let's make sure they're taken care of. And I believe that we have that already in this church. Because I've seen it. I've seen people take care of one another, offer up their homes or finances or car, all kinds of things. And I thank God for that. We need to keep having that attitude. Because if we ever lose that, we're going to start falling apart as a church. We're also going to see that they served. In Acts 6, 1-7, through 7, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Hellenists are... Uh, are 
Jews that were Greeks that became Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, and whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And they were, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You know, the apostles had a role to fulfill in the early church. They were the one ministering the gospel. And it would have been unwise for them to be serving tables in this case, because they would be neglecting the word of God and ministering the gospel to take care of this other need. Now, I am incredibly fortunate and blessed by all of you in this body because there's many things that I've delegated out to other people so that I can be more focused on ministering the word of God and and, and doing the stuff that I have to do. You guys have all stepped it up and done a, a served in a great many of ways, and I am so thankful for that. This is, you know, this is not a a rebuke or, or to push on anybody because you guys are amazing here. I just want to say that up front. But we still need to keep that attitude among us, even as we grow, as people are brought in. We need to teach them to have the same servant's attitude, because we want to serve one another. We want to serve God. We want to be effective, because. Each of us have ministerial roles that we can fulfill. And what we don't want is a bunch of Swiss army knives. You guys ever seen those Swiss army knives? You know, the, the red ones, with the, they have the, all the different, you know, a knife, a screwdriver, a fish scaler, a file, big knife, little knife, can opener, you know, those little magnifying glass, little scissors. Anybody ever tried to use the scissors on a Swiss army knife? Oh, they're about worthless. Like, what was the point of putting them on there? Well, that's what happens when there's only one person or two people doing all the work in the church. They become a Swiss army knife. And they they become worthless at all the things that they have to do because they have to be able to do everything. So like I said, let's, let's keep that attitude that the early church had to be servants, to serve where needed to be served. I mean, these guys were being asked to serve tables, to, to serve food to widows. It probably wasn't thought of as the highest position they could hold in the church, but they were willing to serve. And I want you to, to take note of this guy's name here, Philip, because we're going to see him in a couple minutes here. But we began to see that as they began to serve and let uh, the people operate where they should be as, as precision tools instead of Swiss army knives, we find that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And I believe that we'll find that as long as we keep maintaining that attitude here as well. We're going to see the disciples increasing and the word of God continue to spread in Morana. Amen? Then we're going to look at the ravaging of the early church. This is, you guys know Saul who turned into Paul later, but Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. He's talking about the execution of Stephen. You remember this guy? Stephen was asked to, to wait on tables. He's getting moved up in the body. He's, being, he's serving. And as a result, he ends up getting executed for ministering the word of God. 
But it says, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on the day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and, and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Pastor Ray, why would you use this slide? Why would we look at this as we're trying to imitate the early church? The reason I bring this up is because the early church actually had a problem. Do you guys remember what the Great Commission is? That they were supposed to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? Guess where they're at at this point? Jerusalem. They never made it out of Jerusalem. They were supposed to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is their, their hometown, and then they were supposed to spread out to Judea and Samaria, which is their surrounding region, and then to all the ends of the earth. It was supposed to be going out like wildfire. But the problem was that everybody just stayed in Jerusalem. And what happened was is that the people began to rise up against them. They were becoming persecuted. The Jews were rising up against them. And it got bad. Saul was there holding the cloak as they stoned Stephen. And then we find out that Saul ends up being dragging people out of their house and their homes. He's, he's beating them and imprisoning them. And things are getting bad. And as a result, people finally left Jerusalem. Now, the reason I bring this up is because not to show that, that God's going to smack us if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. I don't believe that God sent persecution, but because they were in a place that they weren't supposed to be, they were dealing with stuff they shouldn't have had to deal with. And God sure as heck used what was going on to get them out there to fulfill His will. And I think as a church, we need to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do. That we're out there evangelizing, we're going to minister, we're going to continue to do these things because the truth is we're just going to run into problems if we just want to sit in our, between our four walls and do nothing. We'll just warm up chairs. We have a calling by God to reach this city and we're going to do that. You know, as a result of this persecution, people were scattered. Finally, the gospel was being shared where God intended it to be shared. How many know that I don't want to have to deal with this to do what God asked us to do. Amen? And we're going to end here in Acts 8, 4 through 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. You guys remember when I said that I could show you proof in the scripture that signs and wonders weren't just for the apostles? Remember I said pay attention to that guy's name, Philip? This is Philip. Philip started out as a, as a nobody in the church. He was just a regular disciple, ordinary guy. And they said, hey, we need you to serve some tables. And he was like, well, that's not ideal, but I'm willing to serve wherever, I want to, wherever you ask me to serve. And he was committed to the church. He was committed to the apostles. And he served waiting tables. And the next time we see him, that he went down to Samaria because he, you know, he was getting persecuted. Things were getting bad. So he takes off and he begins to preach. And what happens? Signs and wonders and healings. It says that, that, that unclean spirits were being cast out of people, that many who were lame and paralyzed were healed. Signs and wonders and healing and the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles. It's for all believers who would follow his name. When you lay hands on somebody, and it doesn't matter if it's the youngest person in this room, when, when Anina lays hands on somebody, when Amaris lays hands on somebody, 
they should expect them to be healed because the power of God works through them. If you've only been a Christian for a short time or you've only been a Christian for a long time, it doesn't matter. We have an expectation that God will move. It's for every believer. And it says, in the crowds with one accord <clears throat> paid attention to what was being said by Philip when, Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. I'm telling you, if signs and wonders were beginning to follow us everywhere we go, we'd be able to have a greater impact in this city if we would just trust God and let his power flow through us. Philip, the next time we see Philip's name, he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He continues to grow in his ministry. And it started with him saying yes to do a menial task. When they asked him to serve, he served. And as a result, a city was beginning to get saved. There was joy in the city. I believe that if we will begin to operate on what God has called us to do and allow His Holy Spirit to work through us, that we'll begin to see signs and wonders happen. And we begin to see that there will be much joy in this city as God has touched it. Amen? Let's go ahead and be a people that are going to learn from the early church. That are going to go out and operate as God has called us to. And I would encourage you, let's see what kind of difference we can make in this city. Amen?